Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Jim Gauthier went from humble beginnings to successful businessman to one of the most giving and philanthropic people in Winnipeg. The Association of Fundraising Professionals even awarded Jim their Outstanding Philanthropist Award in 2019. Jim and his late wife Joyce gave back as soon as they were able to, first as founders of the Dream Factory and as well as supporters of many causes and organizations over the years, including the Winnipeg Humane Society and the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. I'm trying my best to ingrain this into my grandchildren. My son is, follows in my footsteps and uh, my grandchildren are being taught the same as I was taught. and. They, they realize that, you know, you have to give back because, uh, like I say, if it wasn't for the city of Winnipeg, we wouldn't be where we are today. I sat down with Jim Goche, AFP's Outstanding Philanthropist of 2019, to talk about how he got started, the importance of family and supporting community, and his philosophy of giving back to the city that gave him so much. Because animals can't express their wishes, we have to decide for them and make their wishes come true. Jim Goche, thank you for being on the Because and Effect podcast. Thank you for coming down here, and we really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Excited to talk to you. I mean, you're just learning what podcasting is, so exactly. what better way than just to dive right in and be on one, right? Yeah, you got that right. So we've got you because you are the winner of the uh, AFPs, the Association of Fundraising Professionals Outstanding Philanthropist 2019. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I kind of want to just take me back to the start of when you kind of got started in Winnipeg here and, and how your businesses have been flourishing and just give me give me a bit of a history, a backstory on, on, on Jim Goche. Well, I was born and raised in Transcona. Transcona, at the time I was growing up out there, was a population of about 6,000 people and uh, everybody there worked for the CNR and uh, it was drilled into your head from the time you were born that you were going to work for the CN because you got a pass and uh, you got a pension and you had a great union and so of course I quit school in grade 8 in my day grade 8 was like first year university today uh, and I went to write my exam as an apprentice for the CNR and I failed so after that um, my parents weren't too happy with me but anyhow I went to uh, I always loved automobiles, so I went as a car jockey, which is a, a person that brings the cars in for the mechanics and takes them out and washes them and does all kinds. Probably the low rung of the car dealerships. And it was at Century Motors, which is just about a block from where we're sitting right now on 247 Main Street. And I started as a car jockey and worked my way up to a service advisor. And my dad had a little body shop in Transcona, and he taught me how to uh, estimate. So uh, after a couple of years at Century Motors, I went over to Russell Motors, which later became Midway Chrysler, which is now uh, gone. But anyhow, uh, the body shop manager was away on holidays, and they asked me if I could take over because I, I knew how to estimate, and I did. And I uh, did very, very well that two weeks that he was on holidays. So when he came back, they fired him, and I was body shop manager. So then um, we, uh, my dad uh, built a larger body shop in Transcona, and uh, we started selling the odd used car here and there. And I'd buy a used car and sell it and make a few dollars, buy another one. And uh, 
we wanted to get into the new car business. So at that time, there was a car line called Studebaker, which I know you probably haven't heard about. I actually have, believe have it or not. I have heard of the Studebakers. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're one of a few because a lot of guys your age sure don't know about them. But anyhow, um, uh, there's a place called Bolton Motors in Winnipeg, which was a Studebaker distributor. So I went to him and said, I want to sell Studebakers in Transconum. And at that time, I was about 23, 24 years old, and he kind of looked at me like I was wet behind the ears. And um, so we had a good conversation. He said, well, you got to buy two. So I said, okay, I'll come back and let you know. So I went, and I didn't have the money. I financed one under my mom's name and one under my aunt's name and uh, took them back, sold them, bought two more, bought two more. And finally, we were... We were doing about a hundred a year, and we were out selling the distributor. So Studebaker came to us and said, "We want to make you a, a dealer." So we became the Studebaker dealer in Transcona. So that was from about 1960 to 1965, and then Studebaker went broke in '65, and we went broke with them. And uh, consequently, myself, uh, I was married at that time, and my son Randall was uh, five, six years old. And we lost our house, and uh, my wife Joyce, of blessed memory, had to go out to work, and she wanted to work midnights to six, to eight, rather, because she didn't want to leave Randy alone and all of this. So anyhow, we managed to pull through that, and um, I went to work for a fellow by the name of Harry Sukroff, Transcona Motors, at the time, selling Ramblers. You hear Ramblers? You remember Ramblers? I think Ramblers? I've heard of Rambler, too, American, yeah. American Motors right. product, Okay. So I did that, and um, I started as a salesman, and I ended up being the general manager after about three years. And then there was a dealership called Pan Am Motors, which was on Alice Avenue that was selling American Motors products. And uh, it was a factory store. It was run by the factory, and they were losing money left, right, and center. And they approached me if I'd be interested in coming there and uh, working on a profit-sharing type of deal. So I did, and I'm... Thank goodness I made a lot of money for them, and I ended up buying the store. So that was my first store. It was Pan Am Motors, 1370 Alice Avenue. And uh, after that, I had that store for six years. And then Transcona Motors, when I left, he switched over to Chrysler. And uh, he de decided to retire, so I went back and I bought Transcona Dodge which we have today, which we changed the name to uh, Royal Dodge. And uh, then we ended up buying the Chev store, and then we ended up buying the Buick store, and then we ended up uh, the Cadillac store, rather, and then we ended up buying uh, Eastwood uh, Chrysler. And uh, we have the budget franchise for Winnipeg, which is great. And uh, yeah, so I'm 81 years of age, still quite active. Uh, I have, uh, I'm blessed uh, with... Uh, I was blessed just to only have one child, and um, so Randy's sort of this, the president of our group. I'm the CEO, and we have four grandkids in the business now. Uh, two are in the business right now. Two are at Automotive College in Barrie, taking their courses uh, for automobile um, in the automobile industry, and uh, they all want to be in the in the business. So our problem is we have too many people and not enough franchises so we have to I get a couple you. more franchises well it's a hell of a career congratulations thank you how how have you weaved in philanthropy and giving back throughout your throughout the business side of things as well well it all started back 25 years ago uh my f first venture into uh 
philanthropy. First, you've got to make money to be able to give it away. For sure. Okay? And uh, 25 years ago, we started making some money that, that we didn't have to invest right back into the business. So let's call it surplus money, if you like. And I was approached by a gal by the name of Grace Thompson. Grace uh, was working at that point for the Children's Wish Society and uh, running the Winnipeg chapter and approached me uh, if I'd be interested in starting our own uh, uh, Children's Wish, per se, in, in Winnipeg. Not affiliated, but we have had our own, would, would start our own, and we would call it the Rainbow Society. Uh, the problem with having, uh, having been connected uh, with the uh, Children's Wish was that any monies we did collect would go to Toronto, and then they would divvy it all out. And we were not getting what we thought was our fair share, so we wanted to do our own, where all the money would stay here in Manitoba. So we started uh, 25 years ago. We just celebrated last year, our 25th, and I was one of the founders with um, Grace, and we opened up, uh, and, or rather started uh, Dream Factory. And our first night, uh, first uh, gala, we had 50 people there, and we made $2,500, enough to send two children to Disney World. And uh, we just celebrated our 25th. We had 1,020 people there. It was a complete sellout at the convention center, and we raised some $650,000. Wow. So uh, we, um, we're very fluid right now with cash. We don't turn any children away that qualify. And uh, we're now doing children. Uh, at one point, it was, we only had enough money. We were just sending the children away for their last wish that were terminally ill. Now we're able to send kids away that are just, are not always terminal, that they still have a good shot at, uh, at uh, getting cured, their illness is being cured and such, but they're, they're not well. Mm -hmm. And uh, where we weren't able to do that before, which we can today. So that was my first real start into philanthropy. Did was that always part of the plan? Has that always been ingrained in you from, from your parents? Or, or Yeah, my parents were never had much, but what they did have, they shared. Uh, Joyce was very involved, my late wife, very involved with uh, animals and, and children, okay? Uh, so I kind of looked after the ch children's side <laughs> of it, and she was sort of the animal side of it, okay? And uh, we, we, uh, we, we chose those two... Uh, 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 identities to to align ourselves with. Mm -hmm. As you know, there's all kinds of great charities uh, in town, in Winnipeg, all over the world, really, and uh, everybody supports what they're comfortable supporting because you can't support everything, okay? And uh, we've uh, we've chosen these two, plus the human uh, human rights museum. Uh, we were very, uh, we were one of the founding people there. Uh, we've donated some million and a half dollars to that uh, identity. And uh, we just think it's great, great history for, for the young people to go. I've been there a couple of times myself in the last year, and it's, it's a fantastic venue for Winnipeg. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing a thread of you wanting to keep supporting Manitoba and local, right? So how is that... Why has that been important to you to make sure that you take care of our own here in Manitoba? Well, you know, Winnipeg has been so good to the Gochi family. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've thrived on our businesses. We've had great years and we've had some soft years. But uh, on the whole, 
Winnipeg is a type of community that supports their local people. And uh, we've done very well ourselves. Our family's been blessed to have the great businesses we have, although we've worked very hard to be where we are today. And uh, I'm trying my best to ingrain this into my grandchildren. My son is, follows in my footsteps, and uh, my grandchildren are being taught the same as I was taught. And they, they realize that you, know, you have to give back because, uh, like I say, if it wasn't for the city of Winnipeg, we wouldn't be where we are today. I heard a great story about your grandson writing a, or he got accepted for a scholarship or something. But yes, tell, tell, tell me that story. Yes, uh, my youngest grandson, Tyson, who's 20 years old, uh, is in Barrie at Georgian College, which is a college that specializes in automobile dealership training uh, and uh, He's now in his third year, and he's got one more year to go, and then he'll graduate, God willing, uh, with a Master's of Business Administration. Uh, but he, uh, last year, he was able to pay for his whole tuition by scholarships. So he, was, he wrote a letter uh, to this lady that is sponsoring a scholarship, and he was applying for the scholarship. And he went into great detail about his Grandma, which we always refer to my wife Joyce as Baba. Mm. So it was his Baba he was writing about, and um, he wanted to uh, apply for this scholarship, but w if he was able to get the scholarship, he wanted to donate it to the Winnipeg Humane Society because he's now got a job at Boston Pizza uh, down in Barrie, and he can pay for his own scholarship, wow. uh, his own tuition, rather. So uh, I'm glad uh, I see him wanting to to follow in my footsteps. How do you feel when you think about, you know, next two two generations and he'll probably pass it on to his kids too? Well, I'm sure hoping so. And, you know, it. Uh, I, I feel that Joyce and I have set the example for them and they, they, they seem to be following in what we want them to do, you know. It gives you a lot of pleasure to, to really see them grow up and, uh, you know, uh, carry on doing what uh, we've kind of taught them to do and hope that they would. He's the youngest of 20. What are, who are the other three? Uh, I have one that's 23. I have one that's 22. I have one that's 20. And one that's 19. Oh, crazy. And three boys. Uh, the, two, the two oldest ones are in the business with us now, uh, doing quite well. And uh, Tyson, like I mentioned, he's now in um, Barrie. And his sister, Cameron, just went to Barrie this year. So this is her first year there. So she's also going in for automotive uh, uh, training and that. Obviously, family very important to you as well. How important it is to keep the, keep the yeah, family it's very going? important to us. Uh, you know, I was uh, blessed to only have one child, and uh, you know, I said to Randy when he was married, I said, like you know, married four years, no kids. I said, like, when are you going to give me some grandkids? Sounds like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. Um, when he got started, I said to him, like, you know, Model T, I can't get you started and can't shut you off, you know, bang, 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 forward, <laughs> right, one year went after another, okay? So uh, that's worked out really, really well. And uh, after having lost my wife five years ago, very suddenly, uh, having the grandkids around has made a huge difference For in my sure. life. I've made a huge difference. So she has the Joyce Scotier Behavior and Training Center at the Humane Society. What was it like being, how has it been being partnered with the Humane Society over all these years and supporting them? Well, that's uh, quite a story with 
Joyce's connection and the, the, the center that we built. What had happened was when Joyce passed away, like I said, very suddenly, uh, of course, we had her an obituary in the free press. And on the bottom of her obituary, I had put there in lieu of flowers, please send donation to the Winnipeg Humane Society. It would have been her wishes. Uh, I got a call from the Winnipeg Humane Society about three months later saying that uh, since they've been keeping records, they had never had as much money collected on an obituary as they did on hers. And they would like to, to do something for her. So could we have a meeting? And I said, sure. So I went down and I said, uh, you know, they took me on a tour, which I had never been there. And it's a brand new building that they had built. It was only about two years old. And uh, I went through it and there was this old dog there and he was in this nice cage. He was well looked after, but you could see he was very old. And I said, how long has he been here? And um, the lady said, uh, seven years. Seven years. She says, yeah, you know, it's pretty hard to adopt. He's like 13 now, and everybody that comes in here wants a pup. Mm -hmm. So I was really taken with that because that was always one of Joyce's wishes. She would never support anything that was a kill center. It had to be a non-kill center. Only reason why they would put the dog down if he was ill, okay? So this proved to me that, hey, they really do what they say they do. So we sat down, had a meeting, and I said, uh, so what did you want to do? And they said, well, we'd like to have a garden made in her name or whatever, okay? And then we got into talking about the dogs that they've been getting from up north uh, that are untrained, barkers, biters, and uh, there's an awful lot of them up there that uh, they go up and bring them back to Winnipeg, and they try to adopt them. And a lot of them are not adoptable because they're, first of all, they're, they're not used to society to start with, okay? So they said, we really need a training center. So I said, well, where would you build one? And all of a sudden, from nowhere, out came a set of plans, okay? And this is what we, our dream is, is to do. And we'd like to join it to our present facility and this and that. And I said, did you ever price it out? And they said, yeah about a million and a half dollars. So before I walked out, there was a million and a half light, okay? <laughs> so we committed to building it uh, and naming it after after my late wife. And uh, now it's so busy, they're putting an addition on it. So it's really worked out well. And it's, it's you know, the problem was that all these dogs were backing up on them and they weren't able to find homes for them because, again, like I say, they weren't ready to go out for adoption. So now they train them. The, uh, the, the, um, they make adoptable dogs out of them. You well, know. from all accounts, reading everything about you and doing all the research, she seemed like a wonderful woman. And, and yeah, she was incredible. one. I always say she uh, left behind a better man than she found. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so starting the Dream Factory and, and how it's grown over the years incredibly, and it's such a beautiful... Um, such a beautiful thing to be able to give these kids uh, an, exa an example of a lifetime. Do you get to see some of the impact? And, and oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, it, uh, it kind of uh, brings a lot of tears to my eyes because every, every year when we do this, um, I have children that come to me because uh, the parents bring their, their kids that have gone on these trips, okay, and they'll bring them, okay, and they'll tell their story. Okay, and of course uh, that 
as we say, loosens everybody up for the auction, mm. if you know what I mean. For sure. Okay? And I have young kids coming up and uh, kissing me and hugging me and thanking me for sending them to Disney World. Or they went and uh, seen Wayne Gretzky and whatever, you know. And it, it really gives you a lot of pleasure. And, you, you know, you, you take a look and you say, but therefore, for the gift of God go I. I mean, it could happen to any one of my grandkids, okay? And a lot of these families, they, they couldn't afford, uh, you know, to send their kids away because when these kids are sick, it's a great expense on the family. You know, uh, a lot of times the mother has to quit working to look after them full time. And the medication, some of it's not covered. And, uh, you know, they uh, they just have a tough enough time without worrying financially. And uh, the, they wouldn't be able to send these kids away as, uh, as we are able to do, which is a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. So how gratifying has it been to, to be able to give back, you know? It's probably one of the best feelings uh, that I, I have in my life, and I, I wish on everybody that they could feel the, the feelings that I have when I when I am able to do it for animals, uh, for the kids, for, for the, like I say, the museum, and even this, uh, you know, the Seven Oaks Hospital, I was instrumental in raising $8 million uh, as honorary chairman for the expansion of our uh, emergency ward, and we have one of the finest emergency wards now in the city of Winnipeg. Uh, all of these things make you feel that it's all been worthwhile, you know. Uh, you, you, when you first start in business, you have to grind it out, and you know a lot of sleepless nights. And uh, then all of a sudden, it starts getting a little better, and a little better, and a little better. And hiring the right people, and that's one of the things that I think that uh, myself and my son are really great at is that we're only as good as our people. And uh, we have had some great people, and we still have some great people over with us now and we've had some great ones over the years that have retired and uh, this is this has helped us be able to give this money away if you want to call it that uh, and be, and help these causes that we think so dearly of well i love what you said about your parents of like yeah they didn't have much but they still gave what they could and it's right. a good it's a good example like even if you do, if you're not super successful and and you know in that way you can still give time or give your energy or volunteer whatever it may be just because it you do get it back in kind of well you know a big gift to somebody that doesn't have a lot is a lot bigger gift than the person that has a lot you know yeah and uh, you know like you say uh, if you don't have the money you can volunteer and a lot of people do that they volunteer uh, because they have the time but they don't have the money mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's so many different ways in giving back eh? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about the, I mean, you've got a lot of awards and distinctions over the years, but so now you're the Outstanding Philanthropist 2019. How was that communicated to you? When did you find out and, and how did you feel? Well, I was uh, approached by CNIB um, and they asked me if I'd let my name stand and they would like to recommend me. And I, you know, I, I was honored that they did. And uh, I, I'll tell you that the day I got the phone call, um, from AFP, I couldn't believe it. It was probably, the, it not probably, it is the biggest honor that I think I've had in my career uh, to be recognized. Uh, okay, uh, it it was just fantastic, and uh, uh, I'm so pleased that uh, I was chosen. Uh, and I know there are people that probably give more than I give, and a lot of people give the same, and people give even less. But it, it all depends on. How much you can afford to give mm -hmm. is the meaning of the gift, as far as I'm concerned. You know, 
like I said earlier, somebody that's giving $500 might mean as much as me giving $50,000 because that 5000 might be all they got, okay? Uh, or, uh, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's not the amount of the gift, it's a thought, I think. You Very know? well said. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the luncheon is on the 15th, uh, well, in a week or two or so. Mm. We'll see you there. It'll be very good oh, to, yeah. to have you on. To it. It'll be good. Um, but the, at the time, at the end of our podcast together, I have a list of seven questions that I ask every person. Okay. Uh, Want to just kind of rattle them off and Shoot. we'll see where we go? Sounds good. Uh, question one, what is the very first cause you actually even remember caring about? Uh, the first cause was Winnipeg Pet Rescue mm. uh, in Winnipeg, and they're still uh, active today. And uh, what we used to do for them uh, was they uh, they were in a no-kill center. This was prior to us really getting involved with the Humane Society. So this was a small um, uh, no-kill center that at that point we could afford to help, okay? Because we were just... Shall we say starting uh, to be able to accumulate an extra few bucks? So, anyways, uh, we would take a picture of a couple dogs every every week on our ad, and we'd run a picture of this dog. Hi, my name is so and so. I'm four years old. Please come and adopt me, okay? And we'd put it in all our ads. And at that time, we were doing a lot of newspaper advertising. Unlike today, it's almost all social media. So, uh, and we were able to adopt a lot of dogs just from our ads, okay? And uh, the, the, the center would tell us, oh, when those ads ran, the phone didn't stop ringing, okay? We want so-and-so, we want so-and-so. So that was our first charity that, on the animal side that we really got involved with, okay? Did you always have, did you have pets growing up? And, and always, yeah. always had pets until uh, we just finished, uh, just finished, it doesn't sound right. We had pets up till. Six years ago, we had two little Shih Tzus. Mm-hmm. One was uh, Oprah and the other was Tanya. And uh, we had them till they were 14 years old. And uh, we loved animals. We've always had them. Okay? My son has uh, three dogs. My grandsons have dogs. So we're really an animal family. Very cool. Question two. If money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your cause right now? That's a good. I got to mm-hmm. think about that one. Uh, so if money wasn't a problem, and politics wasn't a problem, and logistics wasn't a problem, what would I do? Has there I ever think uh, I think I would build our own building for the Dream Factory, where they would have their own offices, and we'd have our own building. Uh, my dream and talk, I've expressed this uh, to the uh, Dream Factory, that I would love to have an office that when the kids go in to be interviewed, to, uh, to be sent on trips and that, that we have a miniature Disney World there. Mm-hmm. So when they walk in, they feel like, because th- when they come in there, they're sick, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, without being, you know, sarcastic or whatever, this is a very commercial mm-hmm. uh, setting. It's almost clinical. Right now, it feels okay? clinical, yeah, very right? Clinical. Yeah. And our offices today are very commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, they walk in, it's sort of like, I'm here getting interviewed, you know, a little scary. For like the principal's the office or yeah, something. Exactly. Like, what, am, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like a six or seven year old kid going in there. But if he went in there and we had a bunch of clowns around, you know, imit- animation and uh, balloons and stuff like that, 
I think that would really would really ease the situation, and that would be my dream someday to see that happen. That's a beautiful idea. I love it. Uh, question three: What's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause? About about um, let's say about Dream Factory. What's the biggest stigma or misunderstanding that people come up against that you find yourself explaining? I think that they feel that every child that we we send away on a trip or grant their wishes is dying, mm. and that's not true. Uh, a lot of uh, the majority of the children uh, are under care. They're be having treatments, uh, and uh, very few of them pass on. Okay, uh, and that's thank God to the research today with cancer and other uh, ailments. But uh, at one point, uh, because we had no money, we were definitely just uh, you know. Uh, the, the person had to be pretty well near the end of their lifespan for us to be able to help them because we couldn't uh, send everybody away mm -hmm. that we wanted to. But today we can, and uh, the children today that we're, we're helping out, very few of them are passing away. And I think that's uh, we've kind of got a stigma that we only help terminally ill children, and that's really not true. It, and it probably speaks to... You know, giving them that extra little boost of getting to go to a, on a trip or to meet someone, one of their heroes, that's got to give them a little bit of extra. Oh, for a sure. A little oomph, right, yeah. to, to it, fight it, off this it thing. Really, it really, you know, they dream about it when they find out they, they're going to, it's going to happen and they're, they're, it's going to be three weeks from now and they're going to go on the plane and this and that. Some of these guys, kids have never flown, okay? It's a whole new experience where us older people, we take it for granted, you know, we're going on a plane, big deal, okay, probably hate going on, <laughs> today going through security and everything, but to them it's a brand new thing for them to be doing and they, they really look forward to it, so, you know, it takes your mind off the sickness, it really does. For sure. Uh, question four, when's the time in your, you mentioned this once already, kind of going, going, you know, bankrupt with the that first business, but tell me a time in your life where you had to pivot because the plan just wasn't working out for you. Well, uh, we had to pivot when we went broke, that's mm -hmm. for sure, okay? And uh, my wife was a, a great, great supporter. And uh, at the time we took our first dealership, uh, we she signed personally with me at, at the bank, okay? And, of course, uh, we as I say, we lost everything. And we had to start all over again. And um, at this time now, I'm able to buy this uh, American Motors dealership, uh, Pan Am Motors, and I needed her to sign again, okay? And I said, Joyce, uh, I need that signature. Well, she says, you know what they usually say, you know, once... Uh, Fool me once, shame yeah, on you. Yeah. This one going to be a good one? I said, yeah, this will be a good one. I'm positive. I got good feelings with it, okay? So... Where do I sign? So she signed. So that was, the, that's why, you know, all our married life, uh, she was so supportive. Whatever she wanted, there was never a question. She got it, okay? And she never wanted for a lot. We always made sure she was well looked after. But that was the point of, uh, I could have said, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it again. I took a shot. It didn't work. I'm just going to get a job as a car salesman. Maybe one day I'll be a sales manager and That'll be the end of it. I'm not going to risk the family anymore. And uh, but I uh, I didn't quit, and uh, neither did she. And that's why today we're able to sit with you and talk about philanthropy. Beautiful. Question five: What's the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given is that you know you make a mistake, everybody does, but you don't want to make the same mistake twice. 
and I've tried not to. I don't succeed all the time. Uh, and I preach this to my kids, you know, and grandkids when they, they make a mistake and they feel bad about it, you know, and I say, okay, you made it once now, let's not make it again, okay? Because uh, first mistake is okay, but the second one, shame on you type thing. And I believe in that, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to learn from your mistakes. 100%. Yeah. What's the one mistake that you... Uh, Made more than once, if you can remember. Oh, God, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. But uh, I've made more better decisions than bad ones, obviously, That's okay? Good. But, uh, oh, you, you do make, uh, you know, no matter how long you've been in it, you don't always make the right judgment call. And uh, that's why you got to be surrounded by a team of good people because, you know, uh, especially when you get to be my age. I'm 81 years old now, and... Uh, you know, I'm not quite in tune with the marketplace as my younger guys are. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll be saying to them, this is the way we got to do it. And they'll say, Mr. G, as they call me, that's what we did a couple of years ago, but this is what we're doing now. And like the t- social media, for instance, mm-hmm. is a big thing, you know. I'm still the newspaper guy. I read the newspaper. Uh, not very many of them are people today do, and if they do, they read it all online. I've got a hold in front of me, okay, to make sure it's real, okay? So uh, those are those are things that I, I find that uh, uh, are different today, okay? And I've, I've, I think, you know, when you uh, have been in the business as long as I have, I'm gonna be celebrating almost 70 years in it now. Uh, well, no, 65. Uh, I hope to sell 70. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're used to doing things in a thir- certain way. And if you're not prepared to change, that's when you get into trouble. Has the business changed a lot? Oh, it's yeah. fantastically. It's changed tremendously. And constantly, okay. probably, I guess. With yeah. Technology. You know, when you consider uh, in our business, at one time, the customer knew very little about the product. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had to come into the dealership to get a brochure. Okay. So the traffic in the dealership was was a lot more because people were coming in. Now they come in only to buy. Okay, they know what they want. They know what they've they researched want. it. And there's no, as we say, BS in them. Mm-hmm. And if you do, you're in trouble because most of them know as much as you do about the product. In some cases, more because they really study it. Uh, and they come in and. Uh, they're really not looking for a car just yet when they come in the showroom. They're looking for a salesman, mm-hmm. okay? And to find the right salesman that, you know, handles them properly, and then the car comes secondary. But, uh, and in our business, I believe that our sales department sells you the first car, and our service department sells you everyone thereafter, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, service is very important today. Uh, because again, people, it's big investment today. You know, the average price for a car today is $40,000. Wow. And, uh, you know, this is a, the second largest investment a person is going to make in their life. And, uh, you know, we I take a look at service today. We uh, drive people back and forth to work. We've got six shuttles going steady, okay? Uh, they come in by appointment only so that when they do come in, we're sure we're going to get the car fixed. Uh, before, we never did. Whatever first one got there, they got served. If it came in too late, too bad, we're booked <laughs> up for today type of thing. That don't work yeah. anymore. People you know? want to be taken care of as opposed oh, yeah. to you you know, know, the, educated. The demands, the demands are a lot higher today. Uh, people's uh, expectations are a lot more than they used to be, okay? And if you can exceed those expectations, that's when you're you're going to prosper. Yeah, okay? and you'll make a make a customer for life right exactly yeah 
Question six, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? I'd say I hope you are going to do what you end up doing and not change a damn thing. That's pretty good. Eh? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when I was 10 years old, uh, I was always interested in cars. And my, my dad always had a little garage behind the house and he would be fixing neighbors' cars, okay? And so we were always involved with automobiles, okay? And, and it was always my dream to do exactly what I've done. I wouldn't change a damn thing. I, I would, uh, I, as I say to my grandkids, you know, some of them, a couple of them one day we were sitting talking and, you know, one wasn't so sure he wanted to go to automotive college, okay? And he said to me, you know, Jeej, I've got more education than you had, and look what you did. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I'm going to tell you, the school I went to is closed, and if it was open, I don't know if you could survive it, okay? Uh, times were different in those days, okay, uh, compared to what they are today. So, you know, um, I don't think I'd have changed a thing, and if I was 10 years old and I could wish for what I got today, that's what I'd wish for, you know? And I'd take ev all the tribulations that went with it to be where I am today. Because sure. it was a great learning uh, experience. I'm sure the you know the educate the school of just being Hard out there with your dad. Well, there you go on the streets, right? Yeah. Or with your dad working on cars. It's it's invaluable yeah. Yeah. to life. Well, you know the thing was that I think that's made me uh, su successful today is the fact that I've worked in every department in my dealership. Okay, uh, so they can't, as we say, blow smoke up you know where. I know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that I can respect the, what they go through every day. I can respect what my service advisors wake up to every morning at 7.30 when they open the door and there's uh, 200 customers come through those doors driving cars that they got to give up for the day. They ain't happy because the car is, they're not coming there to tell us how great the car is. They're coming there to tell us this is a problem, okay? I got to change the winter tires, but I don't want to give up the car. You know, so, and they they got to put up with this every day, okay? So I know that, that, that I've experienced it, okay? So I can sympathize with what they're doing. I think that's really important to have been able to do the job that your people are doing today. If you've done it, you can sympathize with yeah. them and you can understand what they go through every day, you know? That human-to-human -human interaction is way more important than knowing about oh whatever yeah. 2019. Theory, theory yeah. is one thing, but yeah. actually doing it is the other, okay? And that's what we do with the grandkids, okay? Every one of them has worked in every department, okay? Uh, they've washed cars. Uh, they've, uh, they've done everything that, uh, and now they're, they're starting in the sales, and they go into sales, and uh, the second oldest is into finance, doing the financing when the customer buys a car, okay? So we want them to learn the whole works, okay? Uh, we don't let them pull rank, okay? Hey, then they're just another employee. Builds humility too, right? And builds, oh, for, yeah, sure, for sure, for sure, yeah. So last question, thank you very much for doing this. Your first podcast of perhaps yeah, many. exactly, now I know what it is Exactly, too. <laughs> there you go. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? I, thought, I think I want to be remembered as a good car dealer, a good automobile dealer, okay? Uh, somebody that, that shared his uh, good fortunes with uh, different uh, 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 charities, okay? And uh, I think that I was a, a, a good father. I brought up a great son. And uh, I've tried to do everything I can to make our business 
uh, a better uh, an, a better understanding of our business, okay? Because so often the car business has got bad rap, okay? And uh, I think that uh, when you take a look at uh, the car dealers in the, in our city, they do an awful lot for the community, okay? And uh, I think I'd um, I want to be remembered for being a, a good car dealer, a um, philanthropist, and giving back and sharing, and uh, having the, um, done a pretty good job in the car business. Kind of changed the game a little bit. Yeah. It's good yeah. to hear. Well, thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, good luck and have fun at the luncheon. Yeah, on the thank 15th, you very much. And congratulations on the win, and uh, appreciate you. your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jim. Thank you again to Jim Goche for the conversation today. I really enjoyed talking to him. He's an absolutely warm soul, and I could just sense his authenticity. And, and he's leaving a wonderful legacy in our great city, and him and his wife did some amazing things for the, for the city, and it's, it's great to see him being honored at uh, AFP's upcoming awards luncheon. Uh, thank you for listening as well. I hope the podcast inspires you in some way to perhaps support whatever cause you may believe in, uh, whether it's through monetary gift, through volunteering, as Jim said, or just through supporting the cause via word of mouth, just talking about the things that you care about. That's uh, a, as good a way of any to support whatever cause you may care about here in our city. If you haven't yet, you can support this podcast by subscribing, uh, whether it's through iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you listen, just click the subscribe button and you'll get every new episode every Tuesday, uh, first thing before anyone else. Um, so if you have subscribed already, thank you very much for the support. It means a lot to us. All music on the Because and Effect podcast is composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can actually hear his music, and he has a brand new song called I Will at trentonburton.com. Again, new music from Trenton uh, at trentonburton.com. Special thank you to Sonny Permolo, Robert Zirk, and Jeremy Morantz for production assistance on the podcast. And a special thank you to Bertine Schmitz for helping market the podcast as well. I greatly appreciate you all. The Cause and Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. You can follow them on social media by searching at WPGFDN on Twitter and Instagram. And you can just search the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. You can follow me at Nolan Bicknell on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but that's all for us this week. See you next Tuesday at the same time and same place with another great new episode of Because and Effect. And remember, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. Bye-bye. <laughs>